Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. When we last left Mr. 10%, the big guy, President Biden, this was uh, the end of last week, uh, he had this to say about uh, classified documents in and around his universe. We found a handful of documents were failed, uh, were filed in the wrong place. We immediately turned them over to the archives and the Justice Department. We're fully cooperating, looking forward to getting this resolved quickly. I think you're going to find there's nothing there. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want me to do. It's exactly what we're doing. There's no there there. Thank you. There's no they're there, except they're there, and they're there, and they're there, and we find more over the weekend. Well, we didn't. The Department of Justice did. Yeah, the FBI finally got involved in. Very exciting. They spent 13 hours inside Biden's home searching for documents. Well, the important thing was the graciousness of the Biden White House to make the overture for right. to the Department of Justice. Well, if you would like to come and look at the home, you're free to do so. Well, well, thank you. Uh, so we will, and we did, and uh, we found a handful of more documents. We also find that uh, these documents had another stopping point at some office space in Chinatown in the D- in, in D.C. Oh, it's a traveling show, you say? Uh, inadvertently put there, of course. Yeah. Uh, misfiled. Uh, and then we also uh, understand, as this story continues to develop, that uh, the smartest guy Joe Biden has ever met, yeah, that's Hunter Biden, of course, um, recommended the aide who oversaw the document selection in terms of the classified documents, or at least some of them, during his time as vice president, that were removed from the White House and then made their way from inadvertently to Chinatown to inadvertently to his home to inadvertently to his phony think tank at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, and they said that these documents are from his time as a senator and as a VP and one talking head on MSNBC who, you know, is close to the source said that, well, some of them are just a a to-do list of things that he needs to take care of. Hmm. I don't think uh, his honey-do list is classified. But yeah, uh, yeah, it is important to note that, uh, right, some of the documents relate to his time or are from his time as a United States senator. Pretty far removed from that. Yeah, aren't huh. we? Hmm. So, you know, I tell you, if it if we weren't talking about somebody who is so serious when it comes to classified information, who ta- who doesn't take it as seriously, if we're talking about somebody other than Joe Biden who doesn't take this stuff so seriously, you might begin to wonder if we had a situation here where you have a politician who's been leveraging his office for cash and prizes for some time. Uh-huh. I mean, it, it's, it can't be Joe and the, Hunt, and the Biden family. We know that because they take it so seriously. But anyone else who took it less seriously 
than Joe Biden. You see what I'm saying? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. And you know who's coming down on him? Some Democrats, including Illinois' very own Dick Durbin. He said that uh, President Biden should be embarrassed by the classified document case. When that information is found, it diminishes uh, the stature of any person who is in possession of it because it's not supposed to happen. Uh, So uh, KJP got the weekend off. She needs it. Free Jean-Pierre, the White House spokesman. They trotted out this uh, Moby-looking dude named uh, Ian Sams to try to spin the latest developments in the case. Uh, You know, I don't know how to tell Ian Ian Sams, but, you know, it's over. Nobody listens to techno. Uh, (laughs) Ian Sams... Uh, reminded us just what I was reminding you before you become one of these hysterical House Republicans making mountains out of molehills when there is no there there and the president has no regrets because he takes classified information so seriously. Well, I think it's important uh, in this instance to take a step back and understand exactly what's happened here. From day one, the president has committed to full cooperation with the Justice Department as it looks at this matter. Uh, He has proactively offered access to his home to the Department of Justice to conduct a thorough search. That occurred yesterday, as you saw in a statement from the president's personal attorney, lasted about 13 hours, uh, went through his entire house and uh, found some additional material. And the reason that that's happening is because he's not resisting an investigation. He's not stonewalling. He's offering total cooperation with the Justice Department as this proceeds. And that's because of an important reason. He takes this seriously. Of course. He takes classified information seriously. Very seriously. And so he's giving the DOJ access to the information that it needs to move ahead efficiently in its in its review. He's given uh, DOJ access to the information. He's, he's facilitating. I mean, DOJ wouldn't have an investigation, you see, without Joe Biden's uh, proactive cooperation. Have you seen these documents? Uh, what about these documents? Did our lawyers get you those documents? Would you like to have a look-see at the house? Come on in well, this sure. room. Have you checked the attic? It's yeah. almost, yeah, it's almost like um, they're uh, collaborating, the Department of Justice, which includes the FBI and the Biden administration, to present this little kabuki performance to give the appearance that they take classified information seriously. I'm talking, and when I say they, I mean the Biden family biden inc as well as the department of justice does anybody um and the the other thing the offer of access it's so gracious really uh, because because the department it never occurred to the department of justice well i know the lawyers biden's lawyers are doing the the document gathering in the house but i mean is that something we could do Offer up DOJ access to the House. I'm fully cooperative. I want to make sure that they have the information that they need. So the president's attorneys reached out to DOJ, offered access to the House, and it was provided. Uh, And so they wanted to do that as part of this ongoing process of getting them the information they need, making sure that no other materials were in the House. Uh, Exactly. Exactly. And this is good housekeeping. Hey, uh, did you guys look over in that corner? (laughs) This is the same dude who said, you know, some of the documents, they're just, you know, a to-do list. His notes, his files, his memorabilia, his to-do lists from decades <laughs> ago to just make sure that they had everything. So the point here is... There's a grocery list, too. You can take it. 
This is like the the murder suspect who doesn't want police to think that he's, you know, that he's tied to the crime. And so, sure, sure, have a look around, of course. And they need to present a contrast for the purposes of their spinmeisters to the raid on Mar-a-Lago. You see here what we have here. Chris Kuhn said it over the weekend. His fellow Delaware hillbilly. Senator from uh, Delaware, Chris Coons, said, uh, oh, the difference have? between the two is one word, a warrant. Yeah. So the raid on Mar-a-Lago. And what you have here is a president who takes classified information seriously. Inadvertently, it was placed uh, hither and thither. And uh, he's proactively inviting the Department of Justice to uh, look around. Yeah, he, he's a hero, right. according to Ian. After the lawyers found an initial additional document at the president's home, the president asked his team, reach out to the DOJ and yeah. give them access to my house. Come on yeah. in. Yeah. So, so then the question is, and so uh, this uh, uh, Moby dude was on um, MSNBC. So um, access, offered up access proactively. Proactively as a last resort? Proactively? Um, proactively to beat DOJ to the punch? You know, who wants to get credit for their performance? Who wants to be uh, best lead actor? Who wants to be best supporting actor in this wonderful performance? So we know that this was turned over to the National Archives and blah, blah, blah. This all started back in November. And now it's uh, the end of January and now, after all of those machinations and communications, including the lawyers digging up whatever was left in the realm of classified information at the home, now you proactively offer DOJ access to have a look around. Why, why did it take so long? Process with DOJ from the very beginning. That's part of this total cooperation that the president has committed to. So the Justice Department works with the president's lawyers to identify the scope and the protocols of these sort of uh, searches that they conducted. The president's personal team last weekend, for example, put out a long explanation of those protocols so that the public and you all in the media could understand exactly what was going on. Mm. And following those initial searches, uh, the president asked the lawyers, reach out to the DOJ, offer them up access to the House. If they want to come and look through everything, they can do that. And that's exactly what happened yesterday. And so the reason that it was done in the way it was done as quickly as it was done is because we want to make sure and the president's legal team wants to make sure that the department is accessing information as quickly as they need it so that they can move through the process thoroughly but efficiently. Of course, yeah. uh, this is all about thoroughness and efficiency and transparency. It's remarkable. We're we're supposed to believe, per Ian Sams, that essentially the Biden administration is dragging the Department of Justice to investigate. Right. We're dragging. dragging hey, you know, c- come on, get you know, get in there. I mean, get get really get in there. <laughs> what about the lazy Susan? You got to check it out in the kitchen. And then uh, again, fellow uh, Delaware. Uh, hillbilly like senator hillbilly. chris coons uh he uh was asked about this on this week with martha raddatz this is this is this is an instant classic right okay here. i can't wait uh, biden and his handling of classified documents but but how can he say he takes classified material seriously when some of what was found may have been in his home for more than a decade and he seemingly had no idea 
Well, the important point there, Martha, is that he had no idea. Perfect. <laughs> that really is. The important point, Martha, Rat, you have to. He had no idea. Nothing is going on above the neck. Oh, boy. He had no, no idea. idea. He doesn't know what's going on. No he is without clue. <laughs> Things are happening around him uh, to which he is oblivious. So this is the defense that he doesn't have the requisite capacity, the requisite knowledge to have done anything improper, much less illegal. And thus, he's got no regrets, as we heard last week. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. stories only the biggest guests and only the biggest opinions this is am 560 the answer top of the morning dan and amy uh, we tackle the particulars of that mass shooting in uh, monterey park california where 10 people were murdered at a, uh, a ballroom uh celebrating chinese new year yeah they're mostly elderly people in their fifties, sixties, and seventies. But there's no, there's no political angle to it at present for the press corps, so it's being ignored. Yeah, that's the problem. They thought, you know, stop Asian hate. They all, I mean, Lester Hall flew in, Don Lemons, everybody flew in. Like, this is it. This is going to be a white crime. This is the whole, you know, keep the theme going of stop Asian hate. That Asians are under attack, and then they get there, and then they find out the seventy-two-year-old Asian man frequented that ballroom a lot. They still don't have a motive, but he died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound, but that was after everybody had uh, descended upon the place. So uh, in Atlanta, I mean, right, there's nothing else to talk about. If there's not a uh, uh, the possibility of injecting white supremacy and the, threat of white, uh, the alleged threat of white supremacy into a conversation about violence, then there's no reason to talk about the violence, right? Well, Brian Levin, he is a professor, of a hate and extremism director, said, no, it doesn't matter that he's an Asian on Asian crime. We have a problem. This attack, irrespective of the specific or interconnected motives, comes at a time when we are cresting off a record for anti-Asian hate crime. That's being perpetrated by Asians. What and I know being he, he, perpetrated by whites. I, I remember "Stop Asian Hate" was a big deal for a minute in New York City until the preponderant the preponderance of the crimes against Asians were being committed by uh, black men. Yep. So then, then it sort of uh, you know 
sort of did, was ignored after that, right? Dissipated away in terms of news coverage. Right. So what's the, what's his point? I don't know. Right. They had to find somebody to say that Asian hates and hate, Asian hate crimes are still going on, and that's why we are here. I don't. I don't know what that means. If, if if people can't uh, provide a cogent thought, make a specific claim, yeah, I, I can see that this terrible thing happened and 10 people were murdered and another six or seven people were injured because this guy opened fire in a dance hall. I, I, and your point is what? What do you want to do? Three, one, if you two. If you, can't, if you can't make a cogent point, then, you know, you're hyperventilating like this professor is... To what end exactly? To promote their narrative that Asians are what under attack narrative? in America. Uh, but by who? Who's the attacker? That's not a narrative. That's not even a point, much less a story. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line. You can also reach us on our text line six four six three six. Type in DA then a quick comment. Uh, so we turn our attention to Atlanta. <laughs> the, you mean the uh, peaceful protest? Mostly peaceful. Uh-huh. Mostly peaceful. Uh, this uh, w- protest started after some non-binary environmental ac- uh, activist, uh, Manuel Esteban Paez, who was known as Tortuglita, like uh, little tortoise. Yeah, Tortuglita. Uh-huh. Okay. Wonderful. Uh, he was shot and killed by police who allegedly were returning fire. There's a big protest by a bunch of these uh, anarchists in Atlanta over what uh, they're calling Cop City, which is a uh, a new Atlanta public safety training center that's yeah. ninety million bucks. And so this is how the pro- this is the protest started, of course, because these are defund police uh, lunatics. And so they took to Cop City and were protesting, and then they got violent, and the police responded. And then the media came in to run interference for those actually committing the acts of violence. Here are the actual reports going on, and you see the visuals. And then listen to the caricature of those reports of what was happening on the streets of Atlanta over the weekend. It'll sound eerily reminiscent to what you heard when Kenosha was on fire and so many other major cities during the summer of love uh, back in the day when Black Lives Matter and defund police was all the rage. Take a look over here if you pan over. I want to show you. This is what they were handing out at that protest. So it was a largely peaceful protest where they just wanted what they're calling justice uh, for to to for to So sorry. Give it up. And right now, um, you'll see, basically, they want uh, justice for him. Yeah. And that, by the way, the backdrop of that report was a cop car on fire. Yeah. And, and it's. <laughs> hey, can you guys hear us? state trooper was injured in a shooting and if you're taking a look at video now i can hear it in my ear uh that is just some of the moments that you could see that uh, protesters are throwing bricks at what i believe to be the atlanta police uh the atlanta police foundation um the atlanta oh hey turn around can we go someone actually it looks like one of the atlanta police 
Yeah, because they threw some sort of explosive at the uh, at the building. And people forget the Tortuga Ita guy. He shot at a Georgia State police officer because he was trying to clear the area from for protesters. And then the officers fired back and killed him. Mostly peaceful. Uh, freelance journalist uh, David Peisner was on the scene, and he uh, went on CNN to chastise them for indicating that there was any violence coming from the protesters. You know, if anything, you know who the culpable party is. From from the standpoint of, of the protesters, um, but as, the, as as even the chief himself said, this is a small group. Um, this this isn't this is a, also within this defend the forest movement. Um, there are no leaders, so people go off and do their own things. That doesn't just make them justifiable, but I, I do think that you know you keep using these words violent, 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 um, and. It, it gives the impression, I mean, the only violence that, that or, or the only acts of, of violence against people that I saw were, were actually police tackling protesters. Hmm. And you've been there. You've been watching yeah. this. That's why it's just so oh thought-provoking. Right. So uh, notice the phrase, the only acts of violence against people. Because as we know, as Nicole Hannah-Jones from the 1619 Project uh, educated us, uh, you can't commit an act of violence against a place, only people. Uh, so what those reports you heard and what you saw, if you watch those reports of uh, vandalism, at public buildings and throwing explosives and so forth, that's not violence. No, of course not. Violence is when the police arrest somebody who is committing an act of vandalism. You see? Do you understand? Interesting, uh, the mayor of Atlanta... The newly minted mayor, Andre uh, Dickens, uh, surprisingly, uh, on a somewhat encouraging note, uh, he doesn't share the view of the D.C. press corps uh, with respect to these Antifa thugs and their hangers on. Many of them don't even live in Atlanta or in the state of Georgia, and they don't represent the voices of Atlanta. And to those, and some of them were found with explosives on them. Uh, you heard that correctly, explosives, and that has led to a, a police uh, officer's car being uh, set on fire, and other destruction has occurred. And so, make no mistake about it, these individuals meant harm to people and to property. Wow. And so to the... I wish we had that kind of leadership here. Called it uh, domestic terrorism, did uh, Mayor Andre Dick, uh, Dickens. Mm. Yeah, they're just Democrat, like, you know, in case you're wondering. Of course, he's a Democrat. In Kenosha, I mean, they had 74% of those people arrested weren't even from the state of Wisconsin. So it's kind of I, a similar thing here. Well, I, I also don't know what the, exactly the relevance is. Uh, you're charged with providing public safety, regardless of the composition who's in your public space. What you're saying, outside agitators are coming in. Yeah, I get it, and I also I don't, don't like care. That. So why, uh, I mean... The, the outside agitators is also a police matter when Antifa rolls into town in buses and so on and so forth. And, and you, here's a here's a proposition for you. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to these big city mayors, and we'll talk about it because uh, three of the four mayors of the four most populous cities in America sat down with a thoughtful dialogue, a four thoughtful dialogue with Jonathan Carl at ABC. Do you really think it matters? Do you think it matters if I gave you these names? 
does it matter what big city over which they lord? Do you think it would be any different? Jim Kenny, Jacob Fry, Ted Wheeler, Karen Bass, Eric Adams, Sylvester Turner, Muriel Bowser, Brandon Scott, London Breed, Lori Lightfoot. You know all the names. Maybe you can't put them all with their city, but would it matter? Would it matter if London Breed was the mayor of Chicago and Lori Lightfoot was the mayor of San Francisco? Would it matter if Jim Kenney was the mayor of Chicago and Lori Lightfoot was the mayor of Philadelphia? No. Or Krasner was the prosecutor here and Kim Fox was the prosecutor in Philadelphia. Ted Wheeler in Portland, would it matter if he was here or in New York or in Atlanta? Andre Dinkins, uh, uh, Dickens' uh, comments notwithstanding. Would it matter in terms of how those cities actually operate? It wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter an iota. And so what do you have instead? You have... Identitarian politics for the purpose of redistributing wealth and trying to get uh, as much outside money from state and federal government as possible for that wealth redistribution. And I'm not just talking about San Francisco's five million bucks per black person reparations program. That's the thing. It wouldn't matter. Does anybody think it would matter? If Eric Adams was here and Lori Lightfoot was there, if Sylvester Turner was here and Muriel ba- – oh, no, Sylvester Turner was in D.C. and Muriel Bowser was in Houston, it wouldn't matter a lick. That's the point. All these mayors and let, – yeah, let's talk to the mayors. Why? They're sharing a brain that has a singular ideology. And despite what they say about public safety – they cannot dislodge themselves from the identitarian politics and the redistributionist promises that punctuated their candidacies and is uh, what they're expected to do as mayors. That's what's happening. And put the toothpaste back in the tube. Sylvester Turner, Houston. Eric Adams, New York. Karen Bass, Los Angeles sat down with Jonathan Carl. I don't know if Lori Lightfoot couldn't make it or what. She might not have been invited. Could be. Maybe they see her on the way out. These three are staying for a while. Here's uh, what they had to say about this momentous uh, occurrence we have here with the four most populous cities in America uh, being governed by black mayors. Who cares? They do. It's a moment for us. It's a moment that we are now really going after those tough challenges and historical problems uh, that we fought for many years to be in the driving seat. And, and I mean, you made history by getting elected mayor of Los Angeles. Right. First time there's a woman mayor. And uh, and I think, <laughs> thank you. I think one issue is, is that all of our cities are extremely diverse. Yes. So it's not as though we are representing black cities. We are representing ser- cities that reflect the population of America that have many problems, but uh, whose population had the confidence in us to elect us. And there was a time when, uh, let's say, the top 50 cities didn't have a single <laughs> mayor that looked like any one of us. And I think it does signal uh, that progress is being made um, and hopefully get to the point where it doesn't stand out. Yeah, I, I, right. It doesn't stand out now. What, what's the progress that is being made? What I see is the major cities in this country disintegrating. Yep. 
Businesses and, pulling out and everything. And we bring it to you every day. Nike and Seattle, is, it doesn't matter, black, white mayor, ideology. Oh, Old Navy after 10 years and after countless lootings. I mean, I, I can't, I was trying to count up all the times they've been robbed or looted. Can't. They're pulling out of State Street. Been here 10 years. That's a big lot. In New York empty, uh, City uh, bodega shop owners saying they've never seen shoplifting robberies like they are seeing under Eric Adams, who is a former is former police. But now he's a politician. Oh, I thought I expected so much more from him. I got fooled. Uh, you, you can go give me a big city, give me a top 25 city, and I'll give you the same exact story. Different angles in to the same story about businesses shuttering or leaving, about lawlessness, about police retirements. You want to hear uh, the police retirement numbers? You don't want to hear them. Police retirement and recruitment problems? 2021 survey, police departments nationwide saw resignations jump 18%, retirements by 45% year over year, with hiring decreasing by 5%. L.A. has been losing 50 officers a month to retirement, more than the city can replace with recruits. Oakland lost about 7 per month in 21, sinking below the city's legally mandated minimum. Chicago's lost more cops in uh, uh, than it. Sh- Chicago in, in 2021 lost more cops than it had in two decades. New Orleans is backfilling its shortfall of officers with civilians. New York is losing more police than it has since such figures began being recorded. Minneapolis, Baltimore, St. Louis, in St. Louis, which was one of the uh, more dangerous cities in America in terms of uh, murder per capita. Mm-hmm. Worse than Chicago has lost so many cops. There's a seven foot tall, 10 foot wide pile of uniforms from outgoing officers oh. at police headquarters called Mount Exodus. Oh, wow. I mean, it's so bad here. One of the uh, candidates running for mayor hands out flyers on, you know, it's just saying here, become a cop. Here's how you do it to people in, in his uh, ward. And what are concrete steps that uh, any of these mayors are taking on the matter of public safety? Well, you heard one of the concrete steps on Thursday night's debate from the incumbent, Lori Lightfoot. Here's what she's doing for those uh, little village street vendors getting heisted all the time. I've heard a lot of rhetoric here, a lot of sound bites, but not a lot of concrete solutions on how we get the job done and make our residents and our workers safe. We're doing it every single day. I think the follow-up is, and your solution is? I just explained it. We have been in Little Village working with those street vendors, understanding what the nature of the crime is, making sure that we're doing things in concert with them to help them uh, 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 make sure that their money is secure, not use money, if at all possible, using um, other forms of transactions to take care of themselves. Right. Uh Your solution to robberies is to tell business owners don't accept cash. That's what you call protecting business owners? Jeez. Providing for public safety? This is the attitude. And um, at the top of the hour, we'll pick it up because um, this is just a, a much bigger story and deeper story. And since all these uh, big city mayors have weighed in, you want to hear more from them because it was not dissimilar. What you heard from Adams, Turner, and Bass is not dissimilar from what you heard from all the mayoral candidates on Thursday night on that stage at ABC News. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information. 
to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Simple thought experiment we ended last hour with. If you took the politicians, the mayors, and let's throw in prosecutors too, of the major cities in America and just randomly assigned them, would it change anything in any city? And my proposition to you is that it wouldn't. It wouldn't matter if Karen Bass was the mayor of L.A. and Lori Lightfoot was the mayor. I mean, was the mayor of Chicago and Lori Lightfoot was the mayor of LA, mayor of L.A. It wouldn't matter if Sylvester Turner was the mayor of New York and Eric Adams was the mayor of Houston. It wouldn't matter if Ted Wheeler was the mayor of Chicago and uh, and uh, Jacob Fry was the mayor of Portland and Jim Kenney was the mayor of Minneapolis. You just go on and on and on when you talk about the top 25 to even 50 of the most populous cities in America. They are disintegrating, and they're disintegrating for precisely the same reason, beginning with public safety. And by the way, irony of ironies, when uh, Jonathan Carl from ABC News asked the three mayors of the three most populous cities in America, Eric Adams, Karen Bass, Sylvester Turner, New York, L.A., Houston, what their top priority is? Here's what they said. Public safety. Public safety. (laughs) Prerequisite to prosperity. uh, The economy, inflation, all of that ties to people must be safe. Ah, Right. Uh, In Los Angeles, without a doubt, it's homelessness, but it's the intersection of income inequality and also public safety. And I would agree with that. I mean, public safety uh, is a top priority. Uh, but at the same time, what impacts public safety? Yes. So you have to, the economy, revitalizing our communities that have been underserved for a long, long time, dealing with the issues of homelessness, and those things that put people on the street right. or keep people at the margins right. of so their important, lives. So important, so and, important. And, and that's what we are doing when people hear public safety, they think police. Right. And we are saying public safety is intervention and prevention. Right. We must stop feeding criminal behavior and what we're doing uh, upstream 
If you change upstream, we won't be pulling people out of right. crime downstream. So it's not about defunding police. It's about investing in communities. Oh, there's that word again, or phrase, investing oh, in communities. That. Investing in communities. It's not about defunding police. It's about investing in communities. Is that right? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text well, line. They were all, all of these mayors were in D.C. with President Biden, and he talked about, you know, we can't defund police, but we have to retrain the police officers. Invest, in, invest communities. in communities. Go too. upstream for downstream impacts. Invest, 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 invest. When we say public safety, we don't mean police. We mean investment. Right. Not only do you not mean police, you don't mean law enforcement generally, police or prosecutors, do you? Good piece by our friend Rafael Manguel at City Journal about uh, the decarceration movement, which is very much alive uh, in part Mm -hmm. thanks to Democrats not getting throttled at the ballot box on November 8th like was anticipated. And so what do we have? We have D.C. rewriting their criminal code to reduce, significantly reduce the sentences for violent criminals. We went over that last week. Obviously, we know what we have in Illinois with the Safety Act, uh, the uh, no cash bail reform that preceded the Safety Act in New York continues unabated. What do you think Karen Bass's perspective is? She wants to force hotel owners to use uh, unoccupied rooms to house the homeless subsidized by the city of Los Angeles. Uh, And and as we were talking about before the break, you can uh, go chapter and verse on the same public safety, and I mean police, uh, as well as quality of life issues and I could we could not identify the city because it's the same story. We can tell the same story about Seattle that we're telling about Chicago, that we're telling about New Orleans, that we're telling about St. Louis, that we're telling about Philadelphia and New York and Houston and L.A. and San Francisco. And what did we hear from the mayoral candidates on Thursday night? The number one issue is public safety. Pick a mayoral candidate. Pick anyone. I don't care which one. Pick one and let's hear what they said. Just pick one randomly. Amy, doesn't uh, matter. Cam Buckner. Cam Buckner, Mr. Safety Act himself. Yes. Well, I'm. What you'll hear a lot tonight from a lot of my colleagues here is that um, the answer to this is things like drones or militarization of our police force uh, or defunding the, the police. None of these are the right answer. What we have to do is make sure we invest in safety and justice and have a balanced approach. I've put forth a plan called Safer 77 that does exactly that, putting money in communities and the people who are doing the work on money. the ground. We need to pass the Peace Book Ordinance in the city council. We need to pass the <laughs> Anjanette Young Ordinance in the city council and find ways to invest, once again, in communities and in strengthen communities. Uh, our law enforcement <coughs> apparatus so they can do their job in a constitutional way. Bingo. Uh-huh. Got my bingo again. Invest, invest, yeah. so the police can do their job in a constitutional way, which, of course, yeah. implies that the police have been um, lawless uh, violators of people's constitutional rights as their sort of modus operandi, yeah, which, of course, is Cam Buckner's perspective. He's the co-sponsor of the Safety Act, for God's sakes. And I'm talking about 1.0. Yeah, that's why he brought up the Anjanette Young, too. Pick one, anyone. It doesn't Vilifying matter. Vilifying police officers. Brandon okay. Johnson. 
Brandon Johnson, Mr. CTU. This is a teacher, right? My wife and I were raising our family on the west side of Chicago, and we've recently had to change a, a window from one of the bullets that have come through our home. Now, what you're going to hear on this stage is the same old talking points from 40 years ago that has failed. This yeah. so-called toughness. Mostly from Brandon Johnson. And do you feel any safer? That's why you have to be tough and smart. So I'm calling for what works. Full investment in youth investment empo- in employment. There's a direct correlation between youth employment and violence reduction, mental health care services, and making sure that we're doing everything in our power to invest in communities. Oh, invest in Inve- communities. Invest in communities. Invest in communities. Invest in communities. Doesn't matter how, where the money flows or what the ROI is, the effectiveness of it. Just invest in communities. Mm-hmm. More money on the streets for more nonprofit groups and more storefront preachers and more social safety net programs. And uh, we're not just talking about uh, here for American citizens. We're talking about the world over. Those big city mayors and Lori Lightfoot would have been right there with them. And so would just about everybody other than Willie Wilson on that stage on Thursday night. When those three big city mayors, Adams, Bass and Turner, were asked about uh, illegal immigrants about migrants at the border being bused to their fair cities? They I think it's money. very cynical on the part of the governor of Texas, and it's a way of attempting to deliberately undermine yes. New York City and Democratic-run cities that welcome immigrants. And we do need comprehensive immigration reform. But look at why we can't get comprehensive immigration reform. It's the Republicans <laughs> who stop it. Right. Does huh. something need to be done, though, to slow the flow of migrants over the border well i I think that you need to look at the population because the people that are coming are coming for different reasons and anything that we can do to help those countries to help the economic conditions to help the crime issues you know in the central american countries we need to do more she's talking out of both sides of her mouth there no she's talking out of one side she's saying that um just like we need to invest in communities here we need to also invest in oh, their communities. communities in Managua and Tegucigalpa. I love and Guatemala and Guatemala City and Port-au-Prince oh. and Havana. Oh, so we so, so, in those communities they won't need to come over into our country. Yeah. Right. And then when they do, we'll invest in them here too. We just need to keep investing in communities. Who could be against that? Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six type in DA then a quick comment. Jim downtown, you're on Chicago's morning answer. Uh, good morning. Hello, good morning, Jim. Go ahead. Well, good morning. If you've got deranged people all over the place, and as long as they get their hands on a device that could kill as many people as possible. The motive's immaterial. The Vegas shooter, nobody's ever got to the bottom of that motive. The only motive was to kill as many people as possible. As long as you have devices like that, you're going to have these mass shootings. Yeah, actually, so as, long as, you, as long as you have uh, nihilism that uh, infects the brain and the soul, you're going to have these mass shootings. The means. You think that the, the instrumentality is the key or is the evil the key? gym downtown yeah right why would i expect anybody in chicago to be able to connect dots to root to root causes here's one tom and oswego 
Hey, good morning, Danny. I, I've been I've been talking about this for years. The root cause is the breakdown of the family yep. and the well, white done. black community. Asian, I know, but I, but I think the yeah. leaders, these these community leaders, can't say that. Investing is fine. Well, they need to because we're not going to solve these problems by trying to fix things after things have already happened. You know, investment. They talk about investment. Yeah, just dumping more money into things. No, we need One, to dump money into the family. Well, and, and, thanks for the call, Tom. What, one more midnight basketball program. We're one more midnight basketball program yeah. away from peace in our streets, right? We're one more uh, youth employment program away from peace in our streets in Chicago and all these other major cities per uh, Brandon Johnson's youth employment panacea. Uh, you know, the, it's uncomfortable to say, but you read the crime blotter. Yeah. And you're confronted with this notion that because of what we have done, there are tens of thousands of young men, disproportionately black men, who are gone. Anybody want to confront that? Anybody want to, as uh, Tom and Oswego was talking about, talk about uh, family? No? Nobody wants to say that? Right. Okay. Well, then when, say, for example, you have blood running red on the green line because you got uh, some guy who's been arrested 32 times since 2014 and he gets into a firefight with a concealed carry holder that he robbed, then don't come crying to me. That just happened. Yeah, on the CTA. 32 times, three felony convictions in the last eight years. Uh-huh. Um, when uh, you have armed men rob a 14-year-old boy in Ravenswood of his backpack. Don't come crying to me. And these roving gangs of marauders in Lakeview, in Bucktown, all over the city. You you go ahead. I don't and think they're not coming for you. You go ahead and pretend if that's how, how you sleep at night. You pretend that Brandon Johnson and Cam Buckner and the more or less the whole lineup of mayoral candidates and big city mayors. You go ahead and tell me uh, that they're on the right track. Roving. It just takes a little bit more investment. Well, we had we had one down our street three o'clock in the afternoon. Four dudes with masks on. Come in, guns blazing, want money. Then they leave through the back door, get what they want. Just take off. They're, they're in control. Going 100 miles per hour down Irving Park after they robbed the restaurant. Mm -hmm. Real nice city we live in. Dave and Cicero. Uh, yes, sir. Go ahead, what Dave, I like to say, All right. What I'd like to say is uh, it's very radical. I don't literally mean it. Take this figuratively. I would not want to be the mayor or politician that institutes this. But... We're about to go over the edge here. You, people can't imagine it could get worse. I saw terrifying videos over the weekend of gangs of youth at, a, at different parties, like 20 young guys holding up guns, singing and rapping. Terrifying. And not, these guys are all laughing at these politicians if they were to suggest this. Now, in El Salvador, the murder capital of the world, I'm not suggesting we do this, but... People are getting murdered, like so much murder, it's horrible. A new president came in, 
he sent the military. They rounded up 60,000 gang members in a country of like 2 million people, threw them all in hardcore prison. Yeah, there's been tons of abuses. Human rights people around the world are freaking out. But guess what? The murder stopped. This is going to get so bad, we're going to be forced into an emergency situation where nothing's going to work unless it's that. I'm not advocating that, but we're, we're getting to the end of a dead-end street here pretty quick. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Dave. Well, you know, we have this uh, system of justice. We have this, these foundational documents. We have a uh, criminal code. We can both protect Americans' individual rights, constitutional rights, and uh, proceed through due process to adjudicate allegations of criminality. And then we can assign appropriate punishments. We could we could also try that. I mean, it may be just crazy enough to work. Oh, just keep convict, you know, uh, violent offenders behind bars until the trial. I don't know. That would be a start. We can, uh, I guess, uh, raise uh, the necessary uh, personnel uh, when it comes to police and uh, in some to some extent in other sectors, too, but particularly police to try to deal with the Pandora's box that we opened and all that came out of it when we uh, cheerleaded the expansion of the welfare state and the destruction of the nuclear family across race, but perhaps most uh, negatively impactful on black families. And, you know, thus we incentivize this uh, dependency and hopelessness. And now we're trying to paper over what we've done by rationalizing barbarism we could stop doing all that and just, you know, act consistent with the constitutional protections that all Americans are afforded. We could have adults in positions of authority, but we've chosen not to do that. Yep. So, I mean, the, the idea that, like, the people that we've chosen are going to come over the top and pursue extra constitutional remedies, even in the short term, and I wouldn't support that if they did, but... The idea that they're even thinking about that, they're going 100 miles an hour in the opposite direction. Are you listening to what they're saying? I mean, Karen Bass isn't just worried about throwing money at it in L.A. She wants to throw money at it in San Salvador. It's just endless. They cannot bring themselves to look at what these cities have become. And the suburbanites in these big metropolitan areas think that they're forever insulated. Okay. Your choice. Bob Buffalo Grove. Uh, good morning, uh, Dan and Amy. Thanks for taking my call. You're off to a good start this morning. Uh, with regards to the um, city mayors, isn't there a common denominator in this? Uh, aren't they almost all Democrats? And, um, one step further, look who's voting for all these Democrats. Um, that's yeah, my Democrats. comment. And, um, the Democrats. Thanks for the call, Bob. Yeah, Democrats. What are these cities? What They're 75, 80% Dems and Republican, right? Yep. Okay. All right. And then the cities uh, have a inordinate impact on 
the election outcomes statewide in these states because why? Because the cities have expanded and uh, polluted the suburbs and essentially made the suburbs subsidiaries of the cities. And so you can't make it up. You can't make the votes up outside of the major metropolitan areas when you include city and, you know, basically ring communities. And that's the case in New York. It's the case in Chicago. I mean, it's the case in L- in, in California, although it's more complicated because they have a, a couple few big cities. But it's essentially the same thing. You see it. You see it in a lot of places where you have a dominant city. I mean, there are exceptions. St. Louis doesn't dominate Missouri, so the rest of Missouri can make up for the uh, high crime. Right. Yeah, the lawlessness in St. Louis. But uh, in these d- deep blue states where there is no uh, same thing in Texas, you know, with respect to Houston, for example. But in um, but but even that's still a fraction of, of places like Chicago. Uh but where you don't have that population and where you have seen a comprehensive takeover of the suburbs, those states are lost. And what you're seeing and hearing from the populations in those states, as evidenced by the people they keep electing, and it's just an echo chamber going in both directions, is, yeah, this is the play. Okay. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I took a couple more calls on this uh, matter of big, blue, lawless, City America, we've been talking about for the last hour. Uh, Glenn in Milwaukee, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, good morning, Dan and Amy. Milwaukee's turning into a, a firing range just like Chicago is now. And even Racine, our, our uh, city south of us, the people are moving out left and right. Thanks I mean, for the call, yeah. Glenn. Yeah, well, same problem there. Same problem there, both on mayor and prosecutor. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a time in Milwaukee, uh, this is going back a, a ways, where it wasn't like that even when you had a Dem mayor who was pro-school choice. Um, I'm blanking on his name now. Uh, um, tall dude. Um, I, I, we actually, we've had him on the show before, some good conversations with him. But, but again, the identitarian politics has swamped these major urban centers and much of their outlying suburban areas. It's a it's a civilizational that civilizational suicide is what it is. And you're seeing it play out in real time. George Will County. Good morning, Dan and Amy. You're absolutely right, Dan. It is, you know, community suicide. I don't know why people think that these communists, these leftists actually want a solution to the problem. They want the chaos. They want to be able to instill martial law. That's why they want to come after legal gun owners and their right to be able to carry, to allow the criminals and the thugs on the street to be able to increase their violence. They're, they wreak more havoc out on the street. And it's, it's not just this. The, these folks want population control in every single thing that they keep talking about. I don't care if you're talking about Bill Gates and everything that he's been involved in. This guy is not a scientist, and people are listening to him on a lot of the nonsense for medical purposes. Look at everything that they're doing. 
this is all about power and control. And until more people start waking up or until a lot more of this violence start affecting the knuckleheads in places like Chicago and L.A. and Dallas, that is starting to change. Houston and these in these areas that we thought were bastions for republicanism or conservatism, it's, it's changing because the lack of family and the lack of real education in the schools are starting to affect all everybody from K through whatever grade you're going through in college. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for the yeah. call, George. Was it a Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett? No, he was uh-huh. a Democrat running against Walker. You got to go back, uh, back a decade. Um, he, uh, um, I mean, George is 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 uh, is right. Something else that we don't want to confront, you know. Oh, don't question people's motives. You don't know what in, you don't know what's in people's hearts. It's true. I, I don't, but I can see what they do, and I can see what they do after the market tells them the consequences of what they've done. And when you're doubling down on barbarism, uh, I think it's fair to say, what exactly are you trying to accomplish? And maybe George and Will County's on to something that, as we've said before, uh, about the exodus, forget violence, just the exodus from these places. The great counterintuitive reality is the worse they make it, the better it gets for them, because who leaves? Center-right voters, largely, mm-hmm. who would otherwise provide potentially uh, a portion of the electorate that could act as a bulwark against the Lightfoots and the Foxes and the Pritzkers and so on and so forth. But they're gone. So they make it worse, and their margin of error increases. It's a bit ironic, counterintuitive, but that's the reality. So do they... I mean, do they really want solutions? The same people who uh, celebrate the location of abortion mills in black neighborhoods. They want solutions. They want strong families. They want safe streets. Everybody has to say that, particularly if you're an elected official. But are you acting in furtherance of those outcomes? Pretty difficult case to make out with those mayors we've been talking about around the country, isn't it? Verlon's outside. Now, I don't want to hear anything from any of those mayors or, or Democrat politicians about safety. When you all have been talking about the Safety Act for almost two years and safety for two years and reporting on all the crimes, well, forever. And mum was the word from every politician. Now, two months before they want to be elected, they want to talk about safety. That was the worst 45 minutes I had to listen to of my life. But, Dan, I called in to talk to you about engaging the black community. Now, everybody on that stage is black except for Chewy and uh, and uh, Paul Valley. What was the word that I just he- hear you play for about three or four of them? Investment, investment, investment. That's all black people want to hear, and that's all they and that's all they're going to preach to black people or minorities. Now. My question to you is, how do you get the same thing? Because when you told me you're not going to be the hunky that's going to write checks, well, how do you get black people and minorities to gravitate to your position of thinking if you don't engage them? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to, to take instruction. I have no idea. I mean, we, I, you get Nobody some. I think you, I think you get some by saying, so here's, here's a pathway out of terrible schools that we're supporting scholarships, 
you want your kid to have the same educational opportunities that I had, then I want that too. And here's a scholarship program that you can access so your kid can get out of a school you know hasn't educated barely anyone in 50 years. And so maybe that's something. But, but you know, the, the problem I, I see, and this sort of, this, this doesn't sort of, it transcends race, but it's most pronounced in black neighborhoods and black communities, you know, majority black communities, is um, I'm offering, or frankly, it's not yeah, I'm me, yeah, Bob Woodson, Thomas Sowell, Walter Williams, uh, John McWhorter, Ian Ro- uh, they're offering agency. They're offering control of your destiny. And the other side offers you a check right now. And so what do you want? People go for the check. Well, right. And so, so uh, you know, how do you deprogram somebody or some buddies from the dependency trap? Uh, it, it's sort of like getting somebody out of a cult. It has to be one at a time. And meanwhile, they're showering money from on high and uh, uh, and, and that's and that's that that becomes the expectation that the only legitimate debate is who is offering how much. And so Verlant, you know, uh, the, the scholarship program is one idea. Robert, our friend Robert Blackhall always talks about doing business with black people, doing business with black business owners. That's a good idea too. you know, be, trying to be a conduit to connect uh, black business owners with other business owners to do business and grow businesses. I'm all for that, that sort of mentoring and partnering and collaborating. I'm all for that. But, I mean, uh, otherwise, what what is it uh, that you want me to say or where we are supposed to engage the, the whole lot of us when it comes to offering something other than here's another, here we're going to put – uh, half a million dollars into this nonprofit in your neighborhood, and we're going to build this community center. We're going to uh, increase the stipends and, and these uh, social welfare programs and so on and so forth. I'm not playing that game. All right. I hear you. I just want people to start talking and engaging so we can close the gap because we're just we're just too divided as a as a especially as a city and a state. I just I want us to mend those fences, man. If we if we keep being uh, divided and segregated, we're gonna we never gonna move forward. Well, that's what's gonna happen. Well, thanks for the cover on. That's what's gonna happen in this mayor's race. That is that is what's happening. Why is Paul Why is Paul Vallis in the lead in some of the polls? You know, it's like Chewy. It's Paul or Chewy, and then Lightfoot's in third, or maybe fourth. And Brandon. Paul and has really... a better plan than Chewy, but I know you're just talking that, about the polls. Well, but but what? But why is he in the lead? Because of his plan? Yeah. No. Because he wants school choice. I know that is attractive to a lot of people, and he wants more cops on the street, and he is the adult in the room. I'm sorry, Chewy Garcia is a clown you bring to a block party. What has he ever accomplished? You're you're missing the point. I'm sure. I'm sure. Why is he in the lead? You think you think uh, people have been wowed by the same plan this go around that he presented more or less last go around? Why weren't they wowed last go around? Because they wanted to be part of something just like Obama, you know, to tell their grandkids, I voted for the first black president. They could tell their grandkids, I voted for the first black female lesbian. That's what I think, because she didn't really have a plan either. Well, you're but they wanted war- to be part of something. Yeah, you're getting warmer. So what was it? Identity. Yeah, identity politics. Right. And so that's what it is now, too. It hasn't changed. The political culture hasn't changed. You know what's changed? 
Bill Daly and Jer- Jerry Joyce are not in the race. Yeah, that's true. He's 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 got a let's let's say you believe some of the polling that he's got a plurality right now. It's the white vote. It's just white. It's honkies. That's what it is. And Lightfoot and Brandon Johnson and Willie and the they're splitting up the black vote. And Chewy's in second position or maybe first position, largely because of well, two things: the Latino vote and the. the public sector union vote that that's that's not with uh, Brandon Johnson CTU, but it, it, but the point is to say it is largely along racial lines. How many times have we said it? Because how long has it been true? Chicago is one of the most racially divided, racially segregated is the better word in a de facto sense, uh, unlike the de jure sense of Jim Crow. It is the de, mo, one of the most de facto racially segregated cities in the country for all of the talk from all of the same politicians of the same party sharing one brain and one approach to doing things what have they accomplished to bring the city together unite the blah 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 it's all along racial lines because nobody is willing to step outside and say this is a failed way of thinking about elections. This is a failed way to organize a school system or a city or a business community. They don't say that. They just make payons to die training and checking boxes and filling quotas. It's a race hustle. It is an identitarian hustle. Lightfoot does it with the gays and... Everybody else does it along racial lines. Real talk. Corey Woodlawn. Uh, good morning, Dan and Amy. I did want to say this. You don't need, we, the blacks don't need to be engaged. We've been in this country 400 years. We know what to do. We need to get off of our behinds and start working. That's just the bottom. We don't need any handouts. We don't need anybody coming in. We need a set of laws that are the same for everybody. And this is what's in Federalist Paper 10. All these little factions agitating government to get what they want. Exactly. We just need one set of laws so that everyone can operate under the same set of rules. Corey, what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm a system programmer. Uh, did you ever think about a race for mayor by any chance? <laughs> uh, he, he can spot talent. Thanks for Corey. the call, Corey. Honestly. You can. Honestly, uh, you know, that, that, so like a statement like that is something you'll never hear from any black politician. He's brilliant. I mean, hey. it's, it's, so, it's so simple. It's just elegant and simplicity. Exactly. And he quoted Federalist 10, which gets some extra credit. Uh, by the way, for you. Uh, John Norquist. Just I was going to I was gonna tell you it was either John Norquist, who served from 88 to 2004, Marvin Pratt. But yeah, John no, Norquist. Norquist. Unusually tall. Yeah, he, he's very. He's got an yeah. earring too. Remember? Mm, yeah, I didn't like that. Ron and Carol Stream. Is he defiling himself, Dan? Yeah, basically. <laughs> hey, Ron. Danny, um, you know, I I called about a year ago and said, you know, the longer it takes for uh, a way to, to to defeat all this, the worse it's going to be. But I also wanted to say. Uh, that guy who called Jim from downtown, that's Cream Puff Jim from Sean Thompson's show. So he's called out officially. <laughs> oh, thanks for the call. Glad that the callers are policing wow. each other. Dan and Amy, <laughs> Chicago's Morning Answer. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Prof and Amy Jacobson on AM560. 
The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Gustavo Urego is a, an economist, and he's the president of Colombia. He's an economist sort of the same way Paul Krugman is an economist. He's also a former guerrilla fighter who rose to the presidency in Colombia, leftist, Marxist. Thus, he was invited to Davos, the World Economic Forum, to discuss uh, what else? Saving the planet, because that was a, a confab that involved planet savers only, like our very own John Kerry. And uh, Urego talked about what needs to happen. We need to overcome the capitalism that brought us to this point. Take a listen. And it's something that is not often mentioned. Capitalism. Can the capitalism that we have known in the last 30, 40 years overcome the climate crisis that the capitalism helped create? It's a rhetorical question, but it also makes sense, because if the answer is no, then we're wasting our time as we reach the normal return point. The capitalism that we know nowadays has a driving force and logic, and that is to increase our profits in such a way, and that's how we talk about history, to regulate everything without political or social boundaries. And that's the one we have. This has resulted in some sort of global anarchy. We have individual capitalists who try to make the most profit, and this is linked to their capital and productivity. So to achieve more in less time. And productivity is linked to energy. And almost the only source of energy to increase profit is carbon, oil, and gas. Coal, oil, and gas. And this has resulted in a change in our atmosphere. We have to put an end to this if we wish to live in our planet. Can our capitalism do this? Based on the current data, we won't be able to do so. Therefore, perhaps we should do the following reflection. If capitalism is unable to do so, either humanity will die with it or humanity will overcome capitalism so that we can live in our planet. And let me go to another point. No, please don't. Uh, can we overcome our capitalism? I have some good news for President Urego. Yeah. Uh, in this country, we're well on our way to overcoming our capitalism. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Scott the Cow Guy, Shelley, market specialist for Market Day Report, 10.30 Chicago time, 10.30 to 1 Chicago time. The, uh, that's the Market Day Report. And he's got his own show. It's just 24-7 Cow Guy over there at uh, Market Day Report uh, on RFD TV, I should say. The Cow Guy closed. That's 1 p.m. Chicago time, 1 to 1.30. So 10.30 to 1, Market Day Report, 1 to 1.30, Cow Guy closed, both RFD right, TV. Scott the Cow Guy, Shelly, was that enough promo? Gosh, for you? please. Yeah. Yeah. 
look, that guy, um, that, you know, in a world of people that flew jets in, clearly that guy hitchhiked. <laughs> John Kerry was happy to pick him up. Right. Um, he, he's, uh, he's a head of state, sir. Um, please give him the respect he's due. All right. Well, look, um, it's like Oscars for the financial world, right? They all get together and celebrate themselves and nobody cares. Uh, the only problem is that there are some people that actually do care, and the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, and all these jamokes that uh, showed up in Davos, uh, they've been able to infiltrate a lot of Western parliaments in Europe and as well as in our government here. And so that's the problem. We're now fighting those battles at home. Now, I think, you know, I still hold on to the, the thread of hope that uh, Americans are a little bit different than even, say, the Europeans. Um, and we'll fight back a little bit more because of what says been happening with the, the cattle in, in, in Holland with uh, a third yeah. of the Dutch cattle farmers being put out of business because of this uh, methane problem, ESG, and, and what they're pushing at the World Economic Forum. And if you go into it a little bit deeper, guys, I mean, they're behind a lot of things that you never thought of. Like, they, you know, you've probably already reported on the fact that they wanted to get rid of all cars. But you probably didn't know that they're the ones that were behind the uh, tiny homes. Uh, they want you to live with less and be happy. Right. Um, they're the ones, obviously, that everybody knows about that wants you to eat burgers made of bugs. Right. Overcoming and, capitalism, right. And, and now they want you to overcome capitalism. Here, uh, you're right. I mean, we're we're trying to do our a good job of that here. But I, I think the best retort is, okay, you first. You, I'll do what you do. So if you guys want us to do this, eat bug burgers, you guys have to eat bug burgers too. Whatever you want to foist upon the people then you need to do it with us, and they absolutely will not. So that's how you know all this will fail. But uh, it's pretty rich for a guy to stand up there that, um, uh, coming from his background, trying to get rid of cow. I mean, boy, oh, boy, what a, what a chance to push his own agenda. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm, I reported on this all week last week. I'm absolutely sick and tired. And I, I spoke uh, in Austin, Texas a week ago, and I brought it up again with these people in middle America, we call, you know, the flyover states, right? And I say all the time, I, I really enjoy what I'm doing now because I get to connect with the people that are going to absolutely save this country. At a minimum, they're going to put it back on the right track, but I think they can also save it because they're not affected. The flyover states aren't affected by the garbage that goes on in New York and L.A. And to a, to a man or woman, whomever I'm speaking to at the time, always said that the retort is something like this. Yeah, that's that would be nice, but we just don't believe that there's enough of us, and that's the problem. And so we've got a big battle on our hands. It's all being driven from these elites. Now that they got together in Davos, but it's in our government. Make no mistake. That's why they want to get rid of uh, coins, right? They want to go with the central bank digital currency so that you know they can control how you spend your money. Or if you were, I mean, look, if you if you happen to take money out January 6th in Washington D.C., suddenly you're a suspect. Right. They want that control, and this is all being driven from the World Economic Forum. And if you want to give away your rights like you did in 2020, and like a lot of folks are now with saying, hey, I don't mind letting my dealership start my car for me or start my heated seats for me. I mean, everybody wants this convenience, but they're willing to give away all their rights for it. Well, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be controlled. And um, if you don't think that they can shut your bank account off if you start to protest in the wrong way, take a look at Canada. What, um, What's going on there? The truckers uh, last, oh, last, yeah. Yeah, last winter. Yeah, the Freedom Convoy, right. 
Um, one uh, one guy who's having a problem overcoming capitalism is Ken Griffin. Uh, Citadel uh, record $16 billion profit return to investors in Citadel. Should we just uh, ask the House Republicans to turn over the purse strings to Ken Griffin? Well, I mean, we've we got to ask the, somebody to turn over the purse strings and somebody that knows what they're doing. I mean, uh, I don't think Ken Griffin's got a spending problem. I mean, at, at worst, he's got a making, he's got a revenue problem, but it's a good one. Um, <laughs> we've got a situation where we've got people that just can't stop spending. And it doesn't matter if it's a Democrat or Republican. I mean, I'm sure you've reported on that, that the fact that we, we aren't going to get out of our problems. I mean, is, are, uh, this is a great segue. Debt limit? I mean, we don't have a debt limit. I mean, we've, we've, we've raised it like 75 times in 65 years. I mean, it's an absolute farce. So. Well, you need, to, you, you, know, you need to capture the imagination of the American people by cre- creating these phony crises of government shutdowns and debt, uh, and debt defaults so that uh, politicians can look heroic when they come together to spend more money uh, in both instances. Yeah, well, they've got a long history and a track record of trying of starting a problem, and then coming to the rescue, and solving the problem, and, and asking for credit for that. And they don't really even solve it, you know, that well anyway. Hey, but, one I mean, thing, one one thing on Griffin though. Um, you know, last year, uh, let's see, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, Dow down ten percent, S and P down twenty percent, Nasdaq down thirty thirty five percent. So, um, what what what's he doing that? that nobody else is well he's got technology he's reinvested in his technology um he gets in between a lot of the bid ass spreads that people are be able to do i mean that guy's a i'm you know there are some things that he gets involved with that uh, are part of the wild wild west of technology but everybody else would love to do what he's doing and he's just doing it better and now he's moved everybody i believe he's moved everybody to uh, miami right is that is that yeah yeah yeah. he's only leaving leaving a smattering of people here so uh, when's the, what's the future of Bitcoin then, Mr. Scott? Well, I tell you, I, uh, I never put a customer in it, and I don't believe in it myself. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, it's the investment, investment philosophy in that was always, I'm, I'm going to buy Bitcoin because I think the person in line behind me that wants to buy it is going to pay more than I did. And I think that all came crashing down. Now, there, there are some applications for the uh, technology. Uh, when it comes to say moving money quicker or, or or those things, but this investment vehicle that it's become, I think that uh, the emperor was really wearing no clothes, and a lot of people found out all at the same time. I mean, that, although, that was off year sixty percent last year. Well, yeah, although off of uh, all the um, the negative um, the negativity surrounding the FTX collapse, uh, very quietly Bitcoin has. Uh, Bumped up about forty uh, percent in the last uh, few weeks. It's it's now near twenty three grand. It was down to sixteen and change. Yeah, it was. And then there's people that are starting to dip their toe back in. But I'm, you know, let them let them have at it. I mean, again, I got asked about it all the time. The last three years, I've been asked about it, and my answer is this: If uh, you go down and do a man on the street interview and ask ten people what they know, you know, what do they know about Bitcoin? You know, eight or nine of them probably have heard about it. Um, two people probably know what it actually is, and one person's actually invested in it, and that's not an investment to me. Well, you can so all, you could you could you could apply that same test to the First Amendment, uh, but that doesn't mean that the First Amendment isn't important and a real thing. Well, that's true, and a man on the street's probably not a, a real good uh, litmus test. But 
a lot of folks have heard of it, but they don't know what it is, and they think that they have to be involved. It's like that, um, you know, when the milkman wants to go get long milk, it's probably time to sell. So everybody wanted to be involved in something that they didn't know anything about because they thought the person, it's the greater fool theory, they yeah, thought the yeah. person behind them in line to buy it was always going to pay more. Um, I uh, see in the week uh, over the weekend in the journal, uh, Jay Powell and the uh, the mystics at the Fed uh, are planning to set a course for milder interest rate hikes in February when they come together uh, at Delphi uh, in February. Um, so, what, where, where are we? Are, are have they stuck the landing, and we're now going to start to chilling out a bit and getting back to? Uh, that uh, the the sugar high in the markets that we enjoyed for so long. Uh, a couple things. Number one is yeah, yeah, there is a sea change. You know, folks that start are now starting to believe that we can orga- uh, orchestrate a soft landing. I'm not there yet. Um, you know, the unemployment rate needs to go up for the Fed to really beat inflation. Right now, it seems as though inflation is going in the right direction, and a lot of the things they're doing are the right things, but. With, uh, with with the unemployment rate at three and a half percent, we need to put we need to put two two uh, two million or three million more people out of work for them to get that uh, CPI from six and a half where it is today down to say anywhere near two percent. And that two percent they talk about is an average, okay? So that means we have to go to zero for a while to get to to, to really get two percent. So we have such a long way to go. But right now, everybody's happy. It looks as though things are get you know getting better. But I think that that's a, another fool's errand. I think that I'd be very, very careful about getting too excited about there. They're going to continue to raise rates until they put people out of work. They've said it. So I'm going to believe what they say. And I think that unemployment rate goes you know, well over 4 maybe even 5 And some folks have had it up at 6.5%. Johns Hopkins says we need to have it at 6.5% for two years to get the inflation rate back down to 2%. So if you really look through the numbers, that's the truth. Well, what so, about the tech world, though? I mean, you got Google laying off 10000 Amazon. Ten thousand, Microsoft fifteen thousand. I mean, that's going to. Well, they're the they're they're all saying it's because they overhired during the pandemic. I'll say this. Well, obviously the, the environment's not good enough to keep those people around, so something must be bad. Right. And also Amazon and, and, and FedEx and all those big companies, they have management you know management systems that can look around the corner and see what the economy is going to do before a lot of other folks. And actually, I would trust. Amazon before I would trust the Fed is where they think the economy is going. And what so about, I would what be about, very, what very about, leery what? about getting too excited when you still have, you're right, all these tech companies laying off people. They say it's because they overhired. I say, okay, regardless, you're laying them off because you think something bad is coming. So I don't care why you're laying them off. I just know you are laying them off. What about big, uh, big layoffs at the big banks like Goldman? Yeah, I mean, the Deutsche Bank bonuses came out, you know, at 40% of what everybody thought it was going to be. Goldman Sachs, you're right. Uh, yeah, the, these people, there's no M&A activity. There's no IPOs going out. There's no activity on Wall Street. I mean, I guess I guess it's just part of a soft landing, no activity on Wall Street. I mean, if you really look at the numbers, it, it's not that good. But some folks right now are starting to turn a little bit, flip-flop, and say, well, it looks as though uh, things are getting, you know, going in the right direction. But right direction, to me, doesn't mean that we're anywhere near where we need to be. That just means maybe the road's going to be longer. So do you, th- I mean, do you anticipate uh, 2023 netting it all out uh, based on what you expect to happen? Do you think, is this going to be a positive year for market returns? Is this a, if people have been on the sidelines, should they think about starting to uh, inch back in? Well, I, it depends on your, your time horizon. If you've got 30 year time horizon, absolutely no problem. Inch back in. If you have to, you know, if you need to make money in the next two years, I'd be very leery about that because 
I still think we've got problems ahead. There are folks out there that think we're going to be cutting rates by the end of this year. I've never seen an economy act that fast before in my 37 years in the business. It could happen, I suppose, but uh, I don't think things are going to get that good that fast. If the Fed still has to get that unemployment rate up to bring CPI down, six and a half percent core, you know, consumer price index needs to come down. The way they're going to have to do that is bust labor. Labor is too high as far as wages. And they're going to have to put people out of business to do it, and that's the problem. Until that happens, we're not going anywhere to get that inflation right down. He has got the cow guy, Shelley, market specialist from Market Day Report, which is 1030 to 1 p.m. Chicago time. And the cow guy closed right after that, 1 to 1.30, both at RFD TV. Scott the cow guy, thanks as always. <laughs> Thank him. Again, thanks, Scott. And we he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. If you're talking about it. Dan and Amy are talking about it. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Reacting to uh, the latest cache of classified documents found at Mr. 10%, the big-eyed Joe Biden's home in Delaware. Jim Comer, who's the uh, incoming chairman of the House Oversight Committee, he's uh, writing points on the Biden Inc. investigation. He was on with Maria Bartiroma on Fox Business yesterday, and um, he had this to say. He, he's just not sure if he can believe Joe Biden anymore. Uh, and then when you see that there are documents classified documents just casually left around in different locations. It's very concerning. I mean, you see the complexity of this influence peddling scheme that the family's been doing for years and years and years. And then we learn Joe Biden, uh, some of those documents were from his time as a U.S. senator. I mean, when Joe Biden was a U.S. senator in 1977, he worked with Republicans to thwart Jimmy Carter's nominee for the CIA director because he had inadvertently taken classified documents home. So when Joe Biden says uh, he has no regrets, I mean, this is very concerning here. Uh, We need to know who had access to those documents because this is an ongoing investigation for influence peddling. And the evidence continues to build that that this family has not only profited off the Biden family name, but also that our national security could be at risk. Uh, Influence peddling. Perish the thought. He goes on to say, just based on what he knows at present, this is not that complicated, this influence peddling scheme he describes. The amazing thing that we've been able to uh, determine thus far is how many different transactions into different accounts and how many different LLCs that Hunter Biden had that he was doing, quote, consulting work for other people who were getting million-dollar payments directly from the CCP into their account. I mean, this isn't uh, the most complex uh, investigation on the planet. You know, uh, investigating Hunter, the Biden family is about like tracking a bleeding bear through a snowstorm. I mean, there's evidence everywhere that would point out that this family has been involved in the influence peddling scheme for decades, and this is very concerning. Now, before you get all worked up. Yes. Uh, our very own senior senator, Sack of Durbin, he had a one-word response to the sort of histrionics you just heard from Representative Comer. 
And we have to worry, since this uh, new group that has taken over control of the House of Representatives has promised us endless investigations, confrontations, impeachments, and chaos, what's going to happen? I only have one word for those who are dubious as to whether that will happen, and the word is Benghazi. How long did we spend going through Benghazi hearings in the Republican-controlled House in the past? Now imagine the MAGA Republicans and what they're setting out to do. Uh, I'm sure that they are going to have investigations uh, to our heart's delight. Yeah. I want to turn Christopher Can... Stevens. People died in Benghazi. That was their. Oh my God. Why the need for the hearings when we could have just waited for 13 hours? The movie. You know, he makes a great point there, as a Sack of Durbin always does. But he did. But he also is disappointed that uh, Biden has these documents in his house. There's no there there. Biden should be embarrassed. There's no there there, and there are no regrets and none allowed. Thank you, Senator. For more on this, Cliff May, president of the Foundation for Defense of Democracies and foreign affairs columnist for the Washington Times, joins us now. Cliff, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Good, good morning, Dan and Amy. This is just another thing cooked up by Republicans like Benghazi, Cliff. Well, as, as I think Amy was suggesting, Benghazi was a terrible failure yeah. where Americans died. I, I think there's nothing wrong with Congress wanting to get to the bottom of the failure, see what happened, try to see that it doesn't happen again. I mean, it's an odd example for him to take of an investigation that he thinks shouldn't have happened. We should have just let that go by. As for these documents, yes, there's, there, there's, there are troubling national security problems here. One is that Hunter Biden had extensive relations with the communist Chinese, was getting money from them that, uh, to invest, not that he was a billion investor, but somehow they trusted him to give that money. Um, that these classified documents were not, were, were taken from where they should be and placed next to a Corvette, placed in his home, placed in his beach house. Um, that raises questions about whether the, these, these, these Chinese friends and business associates of Hunter Biden may have had some access to them, um, either inadvertently or through other ways. This should not be investigated. We should say, oh, well, no, no big deal. And, of course, there's going to be a, there are going to be a lot of people I guess primarily Republicans are going to say, what a terrible double standard. You had a president, President Trump, who took classified documents, which he should not have done, although he had had the ability. He didn't do it for some reason to say, clearly, uh, I'm going to declassify these documents. I don't think they need to be classified, and then I'm going to take them home for my records. He could have done that. He didn't have the presence of mind to do it. It wouldn't have been that difficult a thing, but he didn't. Joe Biden never had the ability, not as a vice president nor as a senator, to declassify documents. Well, he, he had to know that you well, that your documents. No, were not no, 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 no. He knew nothing. I, he <laughs> knows nothing. Uh, Chris Coons even said so. He was asked that question by Martha Raddatz on this week. You know, isn't this troubling? And you're talking about what he should have done. How can you do something you know nothing about? But but how can he say he takes classified material seriously when some of what was found may have been in his home for more than a decade and he seemingly had no idea? Well, the important point there, Martha, is that he had no idea. Exactly. And that's really not possible. If you anybody who's seen classified documents know they're, they're, the the markings on them are not subtle. There's an age right there that's very clear. 
that's, that says that you're only supposed to look at classified documents, what's called a skip, which is a secured place. If you take notes on what you see, your notes are classified as, as secret, and uh, they also are property of the government, not your property. Uh, and it's, it's all very odd because when we had the FBI agents go into President Trump's Mar-a-Lago home, um, President Biden was outraged and said, that, said he didn't understand how the president could do such things. Did he not? Did he, had he absolutely forgotten what he had been doing since the time that he was a senator? Did he absolutely forget that he was in possession of all these documents, or did he think it would never come to light? And of course, we still don't know how it did come to light. Well, President Biden's Trump, President President Trump should have done what President Biden did and never look at the document. Don't look down. There could be classified documents there. See? But why would President Biden or then Senator and VP have those documents unless he was using them? Uh, We can only guess and theorize. Uh, One reason is if you're planning to write memoirs or an autobiography or something like that, I suppose you might find it convenient to have such, such documents to refer to, but then you would think they'd be in a, you know, altogether and, very carefully marked and so that you could utilize them, not next to kind of sitting next to the Corvette. Um, but I also don't see, I, I don't see Biden writing those kinds of things. And if you want to do that, well, then you have to get the documents declassified uh, first because you are breaking the law. You know, young people who have, who, who have taken classified documents, thrown them in their briefcase to work on at night because I got behind it. Some of them have gone to the brig, who went to jail, have, have lost their careers. Uh, we, yeah. we don't not, not but, supposed to have two systems of of, of, of law here. This is serious, and I but enough about German Sandy Berger. Yeah, enough about yeah, Sandy well, Berger. Yeah, well, Sandy Berger, who played with Doc, went to, to the archives, took documents, and stuffed them in his pants because he wanted to get rid of them. I as I, I, we imagine, and of course, he got a you know people said, oh well, that's that's Sandy Berger. You know, he's he's a crazy guy. What are you mm-hmm. going to do? Are those, um, those classified yeah. documents in my pants, or are you just happy to see me? Right, I remember Sandy Berger. Well, and Hillary Clinton erased 30,000 emails. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. mean no, like, no, you mean like, you it, mean like with yeah. a cloth? Yeah, like scrub it down, Dan. Yeah. You know? Wipe it? Why didn't you wipe it? Wipe it for the cloth? Yeah. No, it, it's going to be seen as, 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 a very di- as two different systems of law, depending on who you are, depending on whether the... Uh, the Justice Department likes you or doesn't, then that's that's really that's that's really damaging. And then for Durbin to say the last thing we should do is investigate it. It's just a waste of time. We have much better things to do. Well, um, um, I'm we not had, sure. I, I, you know, I can think of some better things for him to do, but I don't think he wants to, to do them. We had this uh, new uh, White House flack that was uh, put out for the Sunday talkies. Um, he was reprising the role, Sean Patrick Flannery's role in Powder. I don't know if you remember that movie, but it bears an eerie similarity. And he was saying, basically, that uh, the Biden administration has been you know, dragging the Department of Justice, kicking and screaming to investigate uh, the House for themselves. And that's how they came upon this latest group of documents and so on and so forth. But, I mean, this is a collaboration, and there have been great discussions about protocols between the White House lawyers the Department of Justice, and we turned over these documents because he takes classified documents very seriously, as you know. And, and you know, hey, guys, get in there. You know, uh, look, look, through, look at every nook and cranny in the compound. 
and, uh, and, and get whatever you could get. So, I mean, this is going very well, and the Biden administration has been heroic in facilitating the efficient and timely review of said materials by the Department of Justice. This is government in action, government working in action, uh, we're to understand. Yeah, I, I, I tell you guys, I don't have much more to say about it except that it's it, it's sort of it's sort of shocking to a lot of people and disturbing to a lot of people, and it, it, it is not giving us the idea that uh, giving anybody the idea that there's one system of justice, and we don't know. Again, the the, the basic questions we don't know: why his lawyers were sent there, why there weren't uh, there was no one from the Department of Justice to look for these documents. Um, there's just a million questions, and the idea that oh well, we don't want to investigate any of that. We don't need to know any of the answers to that. Um, that's well, this is going to be troubling. Well, here's a question. It's based on what Jim Comer said on Bart Romer's show yesterday about this influence peddling operation um, that he's you know sort of already knee deep in uh, investigating, um, and then the report out that uh, Hunter Biden may have recommended the aid that made the decisions as to which documents to remove from the White House uh, inadvertently, of course, and then inadvertently placed them in some office space in Chinatown before they were inadvertently placed in his home and in his phony think tank at the University of Pennsylvania. So maybe what if Joe Biden is actually telling the truth and he doesn't know anything about these documents because he outsourced the document retrieval and the document perusal to the, the, the smartest guy he knows, Hunter Biden, in furtherance of their collective business interests. Uh, that would be quite a quite a quite a scandal. Yeah, well, <laughs> and uh, or, and one could see novel, why some members of Congress else. might want to find out if that's a, if in fact that's what what happened. If he uh, outsourced it to his son, who was doing uh, extensive and very lucrative business with the communist Chinese. Uh, all right. Before we let you go, I wanted to get your take on where we stand uh, with repelling the Russian invasion of Ukraine and what you think House Republicans posture should be with the uh, continued underwriting of, of Ukraine's resistance. Well, I'm I'm in favor of continuing to support the resistance of the Ukrainians to the Russian invasion attempt to con- to conquer them. Um, I think and I think it's it's it's. it's the fact that there are quite a few Republicans saying maybe we should just cut our lot, you know, just just we should we should we've we supported them enough. Whatever happens, happens, happens. The fact that the Germans are saying uh, we don't want to give them any leopard tanks when we kind of know that Putin is putting together right now plans for a spring offensive. What, one thing I think you have to recognize is as Putin is looking at this and he's saying, okay, it appears some of the Americans. Oddly enough, on the more hawkish side, are going wobbly. And the Germans, I always knew they go wobbly. They want my energy, and they don't. And, and, and they don't want to be. There's no reason for me to negotiate. There's no reason for me to compromise. There's no reason for me to do less than what I'm planning to do, which is to mobilize more Russians, get some more weapons. I'm getting them right now from North Korea. That's in violation of sanctions. Um, I'm getting them from the Islamic Republic of Iran. They're sending me drones, and they're probably going to send me missiles. I'm going to kill a whole lot more Ukrainians because those Ukrainians are not submitting. They want to be free. They want to vote in elections. They want to be part of the West. They want to be close with the Americans. I'm going to show them that there's a price to be paid for that, and I'm going to win in the end. It hasn't gone the way I want it up to now, but I think it still can. So 
uh, I'm listening to what, 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 what I'm hearing from Germany and from parts of the Republican Party, and I'm going to double down on all this. And Xi Jinping's watching this too. Because look, if, if Russia can get Ukraine, I can get Taiwan. And in Tehran, they're saying, okay, and then I can get Bahrain and I can get UAE and maybe I can knock out the Saudis and maybe eventually I can kill the, some Israelis. This is not strategic. He is Cliff May, president of the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies and foreign affairs columnist for The Washington Times. Cliff, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dan, Amy. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Amy, it's too bad there weren't uh, professors like Luis Leva teaching math when you were at Iowa, you could have probably made a claim to get out of advanced calculus. Really? Yeah. Why yeah. is that? Uh, well, uh, Luis uh, Leva is associate professor of math at the Peabody College of Education and Human Development at Vanderbilt University. It's a mouthful. Um, he gave a lecture at uh, the joint mathematics meeting that was held January 4th in Boston. I was unable to attend. Oh, sorry. Largest mathematics gathering in the world. The uh, lecture was Undergraduate Mathematics Education as a White Cis-Heteropatriarchal Space and Opportunities for Structural Disruption to Advance Queer of Color Justice. Wow. Yeah, also a mouthful. Right. Wish I knew what it meant. But um, uh, according to the good professor, his cis-heteropatriarchal, uh, well, that's not according to him, but it's just generally speaking what he was picking up on, um, just to break this down a little bit, that's a system of male straight conforming to assigned sex system power. And uh, uh, Professor Leva's findings depicted how black, Latin, and Asian QT, queer and transgender students, narratives of experience reflect forms of intersectionality or instances of oppression and resistance. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of kids feel like they're being oppressed in math class. Um the uh, research followed the educational experiences of 39 undergraduate queer and trans students of color pursuing STEM majors across historically white and minority-serving universities in the United States. I conclude by reimagining undergraduate mathematics education with structural disruptions that advance justice for learners marginalized across intersections of race, gender, and sexuality. This, um, this is going very well. What's the annual tuition at Vanderbilt? Uh-huh. Probably 80000 Yeah, it's all intersectionality and all identity and all postmodernism, all breaking down everything by identitarian categories all the time, everywhere, nonstop, in pre-K through post-secondary education. And this is just yet another example to uh, throw on the pile. Well, uh, one... Uh, person and organization that is doing something to try to hold educational institutions to account under the law is Professor William Jacobson. He's a clinical professor of law at Cornell and director of the Securities Law Clinic there. 
He's also the founder of LegalInsurrection.com and president of the Legal Insurrection Foundation. Professor Jacobson, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me back on. I'm uh, sure uh, Professor Math Professor Leva's uh, treatise on the new math, as it were, is not something you're unaccustomed to in the Ivy League, or at least unaccustomed to hearing about. No, unfortunately, there's some sort of mania that has taken over academia where every issue, including math, revolves around race and revolves around the patriarchy. Uh, It's almost like that saying, you know, if, um, you know, all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um, And so that's their issue. And they're going with it. It's popular among their circles. The rest of the world pretty much thinks they're insane. Uh, But, you know, Math is hard. I'm sorry. Math is hard. As somebody who never made it past trigonometry in high school and who barely made it past that, uh, math is hard. It's hard for everybody. To blame that on whiteness or to blame that on the patriarchy or whatever is comical, um, but it's really sad that it's taken over. What do you think the students think, though? I mean, are they just brainwashed to believe all of this? Well, I think most students just keep their heads down don't say anything. They live in fear of a bad grade. They live in fear of being called names on the internet. I've seen this in so many different contexts where students will approach me privately or by email and ask me to keep it quiet, uh, expressing frustration with the culture on campuses, which is similar to what you've just described this math professor doing. But they say they're afraid to say anything. And it's really, and that's why these surveys that have come out in the last three, four years consistently show that on college campuses, the significant majority of students uh, are afraid to express their opinions for fear of that sort of retribution, and in, including liberal students. And that's, you'd think it would be just conservative students, but it's not. Even the liberal students um, are so afraid of the radical race and radical gender ideology that's taken over the campuses. They were afraid to express traditional liberal views on campus. So it's a bad situation. I, I would just like, not not to even express a viewpoint, I would just like to challenge the quality of the scholarship by asking questions, right? Uh, so, Professor, now, t- uh, tell us more. I'm just trying to get my handle around, uh, my, my head around this, get a handle on this. So explain to me, like, how uh, you mentioned trigonometry, like how, like, sine, cosine, trig equations. Explain how those are reflective of some cis heteropatriarchal bias in trigonometry, or or if it's geometry, you know the discussion of uh, the angles of uh, uh, of the uh, of an isosceles triangle or a rhombus. You just explain to me. I, I just I, I don't get it, and I want to get it. So just explain it to me. Let's dig deeper into this and see how well that goes for him. Yeah, I think that the typical explanation you'd get from these sort of people is that maybe the math itself, the actual calculations are not racist, but the approaches, the uh, emphasis on punctuality, the emphasis on hard work, um, all of these things, they lump into the category of whiteness. And we've seen this in many contexts, um, which, of course, is very insulting, not to white people, but to people who are not white, to say that those sort of things are a reflection of whiteness, uh, suggesting, I guess they are, that people who are not white don't have those inherent qualities, which, of course, they do. Uh, so, so they usually will talk about the approaches to it and the way it's taught and the way the classes and the departments are structured. 
but they won't normally talk about the mathematical calculations themselves. And um, something else that's attendant to all this over the last several years is is the new segregation. Uh, we've seen this in Illinois, even at the high school level, uh, Oak Park River Forest High School having a teacher assembly that was uh, BIPOC teachers only. Um, and uh, we there was a case in Atlanta, a grade school, where a mom uh, sued the school district, a black mom sued the school district because the school was literally putting all the black kids in one class and all the white kids in another class. And uh, you at uh, Legal Insurrection have taken up uh, some of these uh, same sorts of uh, uh, new segregation cases uh, in Rhode Island. Yeah, so Providence, Rhode Island school system, which is the biggest in Rhode Island, it's the major city in Rhode Island, is a complete disaster. It actually had to be taken over by the state of Rhode Island. I, I might be slightly off on the percentages, but something like 10 to 12 percent of the students are at grade level in math and reading and other core subjects. So it is a complete disaster. Yet what is the Providence School District administration focused on? It's focused on diversity, equity and inclusion. And one of the things they're focused on is hiring teachers of color, which is fine. Nobody's saying you shouldn't do that. But they have made it a uh, racist sort of approach. So the Providence School District has a teacher loan forgiveness program. If you're a new teacher hired into the system, you get up to $25,000 of your loan forgiven, but only if you're non-white. We have filed a complaint with the U.S. Department of Education, which provides Providence with $200 million a year about that we're waiting to hear. Um, They also have, uh, as part of that programming, they recently had an educators of color get together. Now this is not something that was spontaneous by educators of color. This is actually a governmental event. This was the Providence School District organized an event uh, at a local event forum exclusively for educators of color. Um, So we wrote to the event forum and said, hey, I know you didn't organize this, but you are subject to the public accommodations law, and you cannot allow them to hold a segregated event at your venue. And lo and behold, the next day we got the news coverage on it. The, it's no longer being held at that venue. They moved it elsewhere, and Providence says, oh, this was all a mistake. We didn't mean to say that only teachers of color were allowed. Well, why did you say that in your announcement, and why did your event form sign up that have – list your race and ethnicity and white wasn't one of them oh that was just a mistake but it got a lot of local coverage and this is the stuff that we're starting to do because they're not even hiding it okay this isn't like a nod nod wink wink they are outright in the providence you know public school district they are outright discriminating on the basis of race and we're going to continue to challenge them but that's just a microcosm of what is happening throughout the country yeah so is this the new normal then i mean is this ever going to go away uh, I Well, people have to challenge it, and that's one of the things we're ramping up to do at Legal Insurrection Foundation. We're ramping up to file lawsuits, file legal challenges against these practices because they're illegal, and somebody's got to do it. Now, it is so deeply ingrained in the system, it's not going to be one or two cases that's going to stop it, but there has to be a sustained effort to challenge these Uh, Like I said, a lot of people don't understand that if you're holding these events, they're subject to public accommodations laws. And virtually every state has those laws, some more powerful than others. So it's not just the people organizing the event. You can go to the hotel where it's being held. You can go to the 
uh, you know, restaurant where it's being held and put them on notice. If you allow a segregated event to be held at your place of business, you are in violation of the law. And where you take that, whether it's a lawsuit or whether it's a complaint to the state attorney general or the state human rights commission, but people need to start doing this. And it needs to be done thousands of times across the country because it's happening tens of thousands of times across the country. Well, you mentioned students afraid uh, to get in trouble with their professors, um, parents, parents and uh, afraid to get cross with their kids, teachers or their kids, school administrators. I mean, and, and frankly, um, there's a, um, a, a high profile case in Rhode Island, Nicole Salas, who wanted information about the curriculum uh, in her kids school. And so she got the FOIA run around by the administration for a while. And then when she wouldn't relent, the teachers union actually oh, sued her. Oh, we had her on the show to talk about um, sued her for making a FOIA request to get information about the government school's curriculum where her child is attending. Yeah, I mean, there's Nicole's story, which she told for the first time on legal insurrection. Right. right. There's teacher Ramona Bessinger. Yeah. Um, who was a middle school teacher who spoke out against the racialized curriculum, which was turning the students against her and against the country. Uh, and so this is really deeply ingrained. I, I saw a statistic recently, it sounds actually low to me, that there is $3.5 billion, with a B, spent on diversity, equity, inclusion, and in uh, programming in the country each year. I think it's probably higher than that. If you look at the budgets, of these, you know, the 14,000 or 13,000 school districts across the country. I bet you it's more than $3 billion. I bet you it's some multiple of that. There is so much money because we follow these things. Uh, we have a website, as you know, called criticalrace.org that documents what's going on in education. It's got to be in the tens of billions. There is so much money flowing towards pushing this stuff. I laugh. Uh, you know, or cry maybe is the better word. Every time I hear, you know, Sheldon Whitehouse and other people talk about right wing dark money, it is <laughs> minimal. It is minimal yeah. compared yeah. to the left wing. It's not even dark money. It's open money. Uh, every major foundation in the country just about funds this stuff. The Ford Foundation, all of these foundations you would never expect. So this is a very deep problem and people need to wake up to it. But, you know, how do you solve a problem? You do it once you have to start someplace. And I think challenging these things is the way to start because they haven't been challenged for over a decade and they're now widespread in the system. Yeah. I mean, you have, it seems to me you have, you have to get over um, a frontal assault on this because what this is really doing, in addition to the impact on the quality of education and what's happening in particular schools, it's socializing people to say, oh, yeah, that's fine. That's, that's okay if we'll just have this is for uh, minority professors only, minority teachers only, and white people need not uh, uh, need not attend. This is this is the classroom for white kids. This is a classroom for black kids. I mean, you start to say, well, you know, if this is what people want, and this this culture of deference that Shelby Steele uh, has written so eloquently about, that that's just poison. You get people thinking that something that is insane, like resegregation, is um, that's just fine. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, how did we get to this point? I mean, that's, and we got here over, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. We didn't, it didn't just happen. And the the principles of the American civil rights movement have been completely abandoned. Um, and, you know, the notion that um, the goal of the American civil rights movement is for 
blacks and other non-whites to fully participate in our system uh, and enjoy the benefits of, of the American system. Well, that's been largely achieved. Uh, now that that's been largely achieved, the goal of the new radicalized uh, movement is to tear down that system. And so I think that we're really in a place where, and I've said this before, this is in many ways a threat to the survival of the country. They're going to turn us into Yugoslavia of competing ethnicities and competing groups who are at war with each other. And that's, we've moved away from that. Okay. Over the last 50, 60 years, we've moved away from that. Uh, And they want to bring us back to that dark place of different ethnicities, different races, uh, competing for supposedly limited resources and fighting with each other. And I don't think we need to turn into the former Yugoslavia. He is Professor William Jacobson, clinical professor of law and director of the Securities Law Clinic at Cornell Law School, founder of LegalInsurrection.com and president of Legal Insurrection Foundation, which is doing the work he was just describing. Professor Jacobson, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Great. Thank you. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I was just informed that uh, former Congresswoman Mia Love has to reschedule. Uh, well, she's probably afraid I was going to ask her if she's going to run against Pierre Delecto. Uh, he's not up till 26, but I'd like to get going on that. Yeah. Um, well, I still uh, wanted to to get to what we were going to get to with her in part, which is the March for Life over this weekend. Because uh, threat to democracy, Tony Dungy was uh, the featured speaker at uh, this year's March for Life. And uh, back on the sidelines uh, in time for this weekend's games. Uh, here's what uh, Tony Dungy said in part uh, in his remarks at the March for Life. Can't tell you how much excitement Lauren and I have to be here today. Even though this march has taken place right at the biggest time of my profession, the NFL playoffs, this is way, way, way mm. more important. Oh, oh my God, I just got the chills. And he, uh, wow. Tony Dungy and his wife adopted, have adopted eight kids. Uh, they've got 11, I think, in total. Um, he uh, went on to talk about uh, what happened with DeMar Hamlin a few weeks back and how that brought home the importance of life and uh, the importance of prayer. And he closed his remarks to the assembled crowd with this. Well, that should be encouraging to us because that's exactly why we're here today. Because every day in this country, innocent lives are at stake. And the only difference is they don't belong to a famous athlete and they're not seen on national TV. Oh, wow. But those lives are still important to God and in God's eyes. <laughs> Psalm 139 tells us that God is watching every one of these young bodies as they're growing in their mother's womb because he placed them there. Now, we know that there are a lot of people in this country that don't believe that. They don't see these babies as being important. They don't even see them as lies. So what can we do about that? Well, I think we have to take a lesson from Damar's story. We have to pray. We need to pray with the same fervor that we prayed with during that week. 
because God answers prayer, and he will answer these prayers to save these precious unborn lives as we go forward. So if we do our part, we'll save more and more of these lives. Uh, Incendiary rhetoric from uh, Tony Dungy, uh, reckless, radical, uh, probably, well, I, I, unless the NBC, unless NBC and the NFL are going soft, should be fired from his job, don't you think? Immediately. 312-642-5600. Turnkey Pro answer line. 64636. Type in DA. Then a quick comment. We'd love to hear from people who went to the march in D.C. And Yeah, I listen to believe, that hate speech. Yeah, the hate. I mean, oh, my gosh. I'm surprised they didn't start burning things down. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. fact that they even, some, you know, left-wing nut <clears throat> and a sports writer, I don't even want to say his name. That he suggested that NBC fire him for that is it just says it all. No all question. All you need to know about that mob mentality of the left. Well, the insurrectionists uh, at the mall over the weekend, uh, terrible. What? Um, what would anybody get an account on the number of arrests, the uh, vandalism that was done, the uh, anything? No. No, this was actually Capital what you would Police. call a peaceful protest, Dan. Mm-hmm. Um. Tony Dungy, uh, as I said, was back on the sidelines. And I, I think the NFL may be going soft. First of all, Dungy recounted how when he was still coaching and they would do uh, prayer uh, on the field mm-hmm. that he got uh, missives from the NFL telling him to stop doing that and that he would be fined, and uh, they continued doing it. Uh, so they didn't, they didn't get to Tony Dungy then. That just encouraged him and his you know radical nature. And then... So that's one thing. I think the NFL may be going soft. And I know they have the nice um, slogans in the end zone and in the back of some people's helmets. I, I saw, um, uh, uh, what's his name, the Jags quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. Oh, with the long with, hair, yeah. Yeah, with the, some, some, some sort of like inspired change or something on the back of his helmet when he was getting pummeled by the Chiefs. Uh, and um, Andrew Bengals won, by the way. Oh, oh, yeah, as predicted. As so, predicted, yeah. so, um, so I know. So, but so, so there's that still going on. But I think they are getting soft because I don't know if you saw what happened in the Chiefs game. But first of all, Kansas City Chiefs, really? Uh oh, right, right there. That's one strike against them. That yeah, nickname, with the program. How does how has that nickname survived? I don't. I do, and their logo. I do not know. Number two. The tomahawk chop war chant at the oh. beginning and intermittently throughout the game. How were all those people not all arrested? I don't know how they haven't lost their jobs this Monday morning. I don't get it. Number three, Andy Reid, the coach of the Chiefs, should be fired immediately, of course. But he should not be allowed to coach in the, in the AFC championship game. That's for sure. I don't know if you saw what he did. He took a black quarterback out who wanted to play and put a white quarterback in in his place. I, I mean, I rest my case. The nickname, the chanting, replacing a black quarterback with a white quarterback when the black quarterback wanted to play. I mean, if that's not white supremacy uh, to a national audience, I don't know what is. And then Tony Dungy on top of it. It's too much. With his misogyny. Misogyny, that's right. <laughs> Misogyny and racism all weekend long from NFL greats. Aha. Is that protecting the shield, Roger Goodell? What the hell is going on? What happened to the Roger Goodell we've all come to know and love? Where is the die committee 
of the NFL weighing in on this. Horrific. Allen and Rockford, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. It's a, it's a broad brush statement, Dan. I, you know, for me, people who believe in choice uh, have a tendency to vote for the left, and those who believe in life uh, vote for conservative values, and those Pretty children much. tend to grow up to be conservative voters. And so for Tony Dungy to be with the March of Life, I think is absolutely spectacular. I did not know that he was doing that, and I am so glad. He is such a, a hero and a gentleman, and he is a strong-willed man with courage. Thanks, guys. He is. Yeah, he is. Thanks for the call, Alan. Kevin, Austin, Texas. Yeah, on the abortion issue, Republicans need to be more aggressive in, in uh, showing that the Democrats are the more extreme on uh, the abortion issue. You know, we're always fighting on the one-yard line of our, as far as rape and incest, rather than we should be fighting on the one-yard line of due date abortions. Uh, yeah. Thanks for the call, Kevin. Uh, for sure. You know, it's the only. It seems to me the only thing that really animates Republicans, uh, conservatives. Uh, this is a, a, a also a broad brush statement. There are exceptions, obviously, the pro life movement, all those people that were on the mall this weekend, um, and people that uh, are prayer warriors around the country and in their churches and so on and so forth. So this is a broad statement, but in terms of the organized political party and the expression of conservatism through the Republican Party. The only thing that seems to animate Republicans, really, uh, to get all hands on deck, other than the you know, tit-for-tat on corruption and classified documents and so forth, is what? You're seeing it happening in Illinois right now. Guns. Guns. Yeah. We're going to file suits. Uh, we're going to uh, uh, send out missives. We're going to uh, explain to people what the real motivations of the the Pritzkers of the world are when it comes to uh, infringing upon people's right to protect themselves, particularly in in uh, an environment where so many cities have inflicted lawlessness upon themselves. So we'll go to the mat on guns, and, I, and I'm all for it. I'm right there with it. But, you know, it, it really is uneven. Um, the reason I'm a conservative is not because I want to ensure that I keep and everybody else have a, who wants it have access to a certain class of rifles that's it's like i'm not a conservative because i'm trying to lower my marginal income tax rate by three percentage points okay and so like we don't to 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 kevin's point kevin from austin to his point the fundamental issues the biggest issues where the left is always on offense even where um, they are, pun intended, outgunned in terms of popular support, like on, like on guns. The only issue where I really see an immediate reaction, a rallying of resources, both financial and voices and activism, is when there's a move to restrict people's individual Second Amendment rights. And, and 
again, let me repeat so there's no confusion, I'm fully supportive of that. But I'm not fully supportive of that exclusively. And I've been saying this for a long time, and it's never quite come to fruition. Probably the closest example of this was the school choice movement in Indiana during Mitch Daniels' tenure, uh, where he essentially brought all the different constituent groups under the heading school choice together and said to the opportunity scholarship folks or the educational savings account folks and to the charter school folks, basically said, look, we're all in this together. And if we're not, then nobody gets anything. We either get everything Mm -hmm. in terms of rethinking how we do K through 12 education and expanding the options for parents and their kids, or we do nothing because I'm not going to have this internecine warfare. So now that was in an issue category. What I'm about to say is more complicated to get people that are really animated by uh, the the Second Amendment to uh, also be as animated or be as supportive, get engaged with people that are focused on First Amendment issues or uh, fundamental issues that transcend the Bill of Rights like the very right to life itself. And I think if you don't start to get the collaboration between people who are conservative generally but are you know, more animated by one issue as, as opposed to the others, I don't want to get into that. I don't want to get into this. I want to stay away from that. Well, then the left divides and conquers. And I think the life issue is a good example of that. I wish there was a much greater concerted effort made to ally across issues where, you know, look, if you are for an individual person's uh, right to self-protection, if you are for a, f- a f- freedom of speech and freedom of conscience, uh, then you're going to be for uh, all sorts of other things where you could be allied with other groups advocating other issues. And you just don't stitch these coalitions together as well as the left does. And that's a challenge. It's a challenge for all of us. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.